but also big dumb energy. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta have that big dumb energy, you know? But Get not, stuff done. Not in front of the viewers, you know? <laughs> I feel like I, I don't know, come up. No, no. I was gonna say, I feel like on the podcast, I come off very sophisticated. Um, no. <laughs> I regularly say tinfoil hat theory. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone's fooled. water. <laughs> Welcome back after a short impromptu break to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. We're discussing chapter 10, Hiring Fair of Assassin's Quest. A little side quest. <laughs> to get a job. The worst quest of them all. <laughs> right. Got your resume up to date, Fitz? You better hope so. There's a better backstory this time, at least. Kind of. So the beginning part of this chapter goes into a little bit more of slavery and how it's run in Chalced and how it was never accepted in the six duchies and they're uh, they're always butting heads with Shokes. Chalced and Shokes are always butting heads because Shokes families refuse to accept that those that are wounded or taken as prisoners instantly become slaves in Chalced so they retaliate in those battles to grab back their wounded and their their prisoners right to free them and there's just constant back and forth in between trying to free those slaves right and i think specifically they're mad about the lifelong servitude it seems as though the duchies folk as we touched on before don't mind if you pay off something with a debt of labor right and that's okay to them it's just the you can't have it forever. Once you've paid that off, you've paid it off. Right. And yeah. that is not how Chalced views it. Um, it also touches again on how Chalced swears that they only get slaves through war and any slaves that come in to the duchies all say that they were taken by a pirating raid on their islands. Mm -hmm. But the official stance by Chalced is that they take them by war and that they do not and stand. those raids do not occur yeah. yes pirate raids do not occur which is interesting because they they must be different pirates than the ones that we encounter in the next trilogy in the live ship traders because right. the live ship traders those pirates are pretty much all former slaves right and they abhor slavery and they try and want to free slaves yeah no, it's definitely interesting how things change. I wonder if this is something that she changed along the way of yeah, writing. that's what I was kind of curious of, too. Or maybe these aren't really pirates. These are just Chalced people with boats yeah. who know they're going to make big buck. Right. So they go and pillage. Still pirates. Still pirates, <laughs> I guess. Just not the ones we get to know later. Just affiliated with a, yes. with a sovereign state. <laughs> so... Fitz is traveling away from Tradeford, running away, going to Verity, driven towards Verity by the skilled in command of Come to Me, 
and he is crossing through all of Pharaoh on foot alone because Night Eyes is still with his wolf pack right. that he had met. We also get to know a little bit more about Pharaoh's landscape. It is a desert. Well, not quite a desert, but it is flat and dry country. And it's only used by the nomadic tribes to move their herds across it following forage. So this isn't something that even the nomadic people live on. Right. And there are some arable land sections that are full of, you know, hemp and flax and whatever things can grow in those drier climates. Right. But a lot of it is very arid. Yes. So very interesting. I always forget that that's part of the landscape here, I think. Yeah, it's not full-blown desert by any no. means, but... But it is one of those things where I read it and I'm like, oh, yeah, part of the country isn't just rocky and yeah. <laughs> and a beach, I guess. <laughs> Which, the inner duchies. Yes. <laughs> so it is interesting to see this uh, description. And he describes that there's no sizable cities in the interior but there are some towns that subsist year-round near some of the springs that randomly dot the interior, and most survive by virtue of the trade caravans that pass near them. So trade does flow slowly uh, between Blue Lake and the Vin River, and goods through that come from, you know, the mountain folk into the six, six duchies' hands. Obviously, there is a embargo right now put on by Regal, but there is slow trade throughout these lands by caravans. Yes. Fitz goes on to describe himself as looking like the poorest beggar imaginable, uh, imaginable entering Tradeford and exiting a very richly dressed man. He has, you know, those fine silks of a serving person inside, but he also has like the chain and the ring that he stole from them. Well, he's technically wearing fancy clothes because yeah. he stole the outfit he's wearing out of some nobleman's chest so the leggings he's wearing are fancy and Mm -hmm. yeah he definitely is much better off than before yeah he doesn't have his full like survival kits besides his kit of poison i think because he had to ditch those before going into tradeford hall but uh he has a lot more material wealth than he did before right and he again is reflecting that He's maybe not as smart or as strong or as fast or as resourceful as he once thought he was. I think we've had this conversation before. <laughs> yes. Uh, but he, he comes to this realization a lot. <laughs> yeah. He says uh, he reflected that one by one, his illusions about himself had been stripped away. I had believed myself a self-sufficient and clever fellow. I had taken pride in my skills as an assassin, had even deep down, believed that although I could not competently master my skill ability, my strength at it was easily the equal of any in Galen's coterie, which is true. He just is... Untrained. Untrained, yes. But take away both King Shrewd's largesse and my wolf companion's hunting ability, subtract from me Chade's secret information and plotting skill, and Verity's skill guidance... And what I saw left was a starving man in stolen clothes halfway between Buckkeep and the mountains with small prospect of getting any closer to either one. (laughs) He says, satisfyingly bleak as such thoughts were, they did nothing to assuage the nagging of Verity's skill suggestion. Yes. He kind of, he seems to revel in these, you know. Pity parties. (laughs) Yeah. 
And it's kind of true, although he is very harsh on himself. Right. His skill strength is equal to any in Galen's coterie, although Will might have surpassed him with draining off random people right. at this point. But he is untrained. He doesn't use it very often. Uh, excuse me. Will uses it very often. And we know the skill grows by use. Right. And also, to his point, he is lacking without all those things in place to help him with all the people behind him lifting him up. But the difference is instead of looking at it like, oh, clearly I should seek help or gain knowledge before jumping headfirst into things. Instead, he's like, oh, I'm just a failure and I'll never be good. He just accepts that as how it is. And there's no possible way it could have gone better without their help. Right. Yeah. Except it could have. (laughs) He doesn't need all those people. He has the skills that he could use to create the knowledge needed to have successfully pulled this off. But instead of doing that, he just plunged headfirst and didn't waste any time because he's very self-destructive. And if he planned, he would realize this is a dumb idea anyway. (laughs) But also, I think it's just part of his hubris of, I'm so talented and I got this. I don't need to take time to think like Jade would or to think about the connections the way... King Shrewd would. It just, yeah. you know, he just does. I don't know. This section I felt like wasn't so laced with I'm a failure so much as coming to terms with like. I need other people. to. Succeed. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I felt like this one was still. Yes, he's too harsh on himself, but I felt this one was still a little bit more like maybe I'm not as good and with his you know maybe coming to terms with his hubris of like maybe i did need more planning on that maybe i do need more to survive day to day and i i was underestimating night eyes's help and what he gave me in the hunting and everything like that not so much as i'm a failure i can never do anything right but right a little bit more coming to terms with i'm just one man (laughs) i'm still gonna go forward and do whatever i can but it's harder. <laughs> right. It felt a little bit more of progress to me in That's this. That's fair. It, I think it is different than his before rants of, why can't I do this without them? It does feel more like, oh, these are the skills they're bringing to the table that I never realized I was using to succeed. Right. But, yeah, it's, I don't know. I wish you would think of it as, how can I then gather those tools myself? But... That's not very fit, so. (laughs) (laughs) He's also pretty preoccupied with uh, trying to survive and traveling to Verity. Because he's thinking of all these things. He's hunting. He is thinking of plots to kill Regal with, go back to Tradeford and come come at Regal from unexpected angles. But all of it is with the caveat of, after I have gone to Verity and completed whatever task that he wants me to. Right. Because that's always nagging at him. He has to. There's no other choice. He arrives in a smaller settlement called Landing. It's not nearly as large as Tradeford, but it's still a healthy settlement. And they have a lot of leather goods and a lot of ceramics, homemade ceramics. This is what they're known for. Mm -hmm. And it, it is widely known throughout the duchies, it seems. 
that the leather goods that come out of here are very high quality, along with the quality of the ceramics. Yeah, not only cowhide, but also tough pigskin of the Harriger herds as well. So everything is pretty much made out of leather and ceramics. You know, buckets are, you know, clay or pottery and Mm -hmm. uh, hats are leather. And (laughs) yeah, it would be very interesting to live there and probably smell very bad. Yeah. Because of all the the wet clay and more importantly, all the tanneries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not a pleasant smell. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's trading. He finds a bazaar in there and uh, goes to trade away his clothes to make himself into, you know, more uh, forgettable. Yeah. More forgettable, more nondescript. (laughs) Yes. And maybe get some supplies as well so he can continue on his path without these fine silks that he's wearing. So he trades away his uh, his good clothes for some workman's clothes and a um, a wrap to keep his hair in as well. He trades away some of his uh, his rings and his his uh, medallion for some coin. He sells them, I, I should say. And notes that it's not quite as quite as much money as he needs to buy a passage, but maybe he can work his way and it'll have some, you know, he'll have some money for supplies and things like that on the way to the mountains. Right. He gets seven silver bits and seven coppers for the chain and ring. Yeah. Money in here in these books is very odd. And I have a weird relationship in my mind to money in fantasy books because I want it to make sense. Right. But... Oftentimes, it's not needed. It's just like a cool thing to, right. you to just, keep track of. Uh-huh. Some books, money is like at the center of some of the plot points. <laughs> but in here, it seems like... An afterthought? Yeah, it's so odd to me because at one point, I think... I don't know if it's in this chapter or if it was a previous one. But he has, you know, some copper bits and he buys like a meal and a mug of ale for like a copper and then like tips another copper. And then uh-huh. I don't uh, Yeah. That's like, a where do the silver back? Yeah. Where do the silvers fall in there? And then like soon he's offered three golds and that's enough to buy like a horse or two and like yeah. <laughs> a bunch of food. How many silvers stuff? get to a, get, get to a gold. Yeah. How many coppers are to a silver? Very arbitrary. I haven't, I haven't dove quite, you know, too far into the money and how value things should be. And I'm not very, you know, well versed on how things should be related to one another or they could be in this world because things are valued differently. But it just seemed off on a surface level to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... To be fair, I'm not good at real money, so so fictional money, even less sense. I kind of am just like, well, okay. (laughs) Honestly, though, I am so glad there's not an in-depth description of, oh, there's seven nuts to a sickle. Yes, you know, (laughs) which also made no sense. Seven sickles to a galleon or whatever, you know. The The nonsensical. Yeah. Yes. So we don't know how much that is, but... It's enough. <laughs> yeah, not not enough to uh, have the passage fare to join a caravan, but it was the best offer of the six that he's had for those pieces. Right. And he sold them to a chubby little woman, and she reached out and stopped him before he went to very timidly and 
almost apologetically ask about buying something else from him. And very, uh, very apologetic, apologetic in how she's asking. She says, I'd not ask this, sir, save I can see you're in a desperate way, she began hesitantly. So I pray you take no offense at my offer. Which is, I asked, I suspected she would offer to buy the sword. I had already decided I would not part with it. I would not get enough money for it to make it worth my while to go unarmed. She gestured shyly toward my ear. Your freeman's earring. I have a patron who collects such rarities. I believe that one is from the Butrin clan. Am I correct? She asked it so hesitantly as if expecting that at any moment I might fly into a rage. I do not know, I told her honestly. It was a gift from a friend. It's not a thing I'd part with for silver. She smiled knowingly, suddenly more confident. Oh, I know we are speaking of golds for such a thing. I would not insult you with an offer of silvers. Golds? I asked incredulously. I reached to touch the small bauble at my ear. For this? Of course, she assented easily, thinking I was feeling for a bid. I can see the workmanship is superior. Such is the reputation of the Butrin clan. There is also the rarity of it. The Butrin clan grants freedom to a slave but rarely. Even this far from Chalcid, that is known. Once a man or woman wears the Butrin tattoos, well... And then they are drawn into... We're drawn into an overview of the conversation he has with her about slaves and how they earn their freedom in Chalcid. Right. And there is a big reason why she is so hesitant about asking about it, because this could be his <laughs> right. Freeman's earring? Probably not. She probably assumed no because he's a very young man. And so doesn't probably, have any slaver tattoos. Yes, uh, because they're commonly known as map face if they've been to a lot of different owners. Right. Because each of them are tattooed on their face with the owner's uh, mark. Yes. So it's probably like a parent or something like that is what mm -hmm. she's assuming or, you know. And... If this were Burek, he probably would get mad because this is something really important and it means a lot. Like she tells him, this clan doesn't really let people go free. Yes. There, it's very hard to work your way out of this slavery. Mm -hmm. And it's super fine craftsmanship. They're super rare. Why would you get rid of it like, if, if you had that much sentimental, like knowing that your mother or grandmother worked that hard to get this, you wouldn't part with it for even three gold. Yeah. Whatever and, that's worth. And one thing I did forget until I reread this is that it's not just working your you, you can't just earn your freedom by working the cost off to your master of yourself. Right. Because if you do that, sure, you're free, but you have no way to prove you're free to anyone else. Mm -hmm. So you have to not only work and earn your freedom, but then you have to work and earn the cost to create such a masterpiece right. of a piece of jewelry, a ring, an earring, something like that with the mark of your uh, the master or your clan on it. And that's way you can prove that. Yes, I was a slave, but I'm matching the symbol on this earring with the one on my face that proves I am free. And <laughs> to work for something that is, in this case, easily worth three golds, 
as like mm-hmm. a pawner, <laughs> someone yeah. who would buy it and then resell it for a bunch more money. And that is easily worth, you know, buying a well-bred horse or like right. easily fun to trip, you know, miles and miles away. It's very cost prohibitive, yes. <laughs> put it, putting it lightly, to earn freedom as a slave in Chalcid. Right. No, it's very so. interesting to get a little bit more of the background of what Burek's family members had to go through. Yeah, so his grandmother really uh, really worked, worked hard. hard. <laughs> and also, I just want to point out that this is a gemstone in a silver cage. That's like pretty obviously worth some money, even without the background knowledge that this is number one, a rare artwork and, you know, two has deep meaning because it's from a freed slave. Like, it's kind of crazy to me that Fitz is surprised somebody would want to ask about it, even if it wasn't connected to the slave trade. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look at that as, like, valuable. And I think that kind of shows a little bit of how he did have a cushy life. I mean, obviously, it wasn't very perfect. <laughs> he he wasn't treated like a prince. But I think he was surrounded by nice stuff so long that he kind of forgets that a lot of things that he had, even if they were the barest of minimum, were still a lot better than a lot of other people get. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of fun to see the little bits of his naivety. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet he's still pretty frugal with his money. Right. As it is. So it's a weird like juxtaposition of, oh, this is what this costs, but also uh-huh. <laughs> like I can't spend this money. Like I, I might need it for later. <laughs> right. It's such an interesting balance. And I, I don't know. I like it a lot. Yeah, so she offered me three golds without hesitation. That was more than caravan fare. I could have bought a horse, a good horse, and not only joined a caravan, but traveled in comfort on that. Instead, I left her shop before she would try to dissuade me with a higher offer. With a copper, I bought a loaf of coarse bread and sat down to eat it near the docks. I wondered a great many things. The earring had probably been Beric's grandmother's. He had mentioned she had been a slave, but had won free of that life. I wondered what the earring had come to mean to him, that he had given it to my father, and what it had meant to my father that he had kept it. Had Patience known any of this when she had passed it on to me? I am human. I tempted myself with her offer of golds. And yet Fitz does not give it up. No. As much as he likes to think of himself as practical, he is still pretty sentimental to things. Which is interesting because it feels like every other moment he's just dropping things and he's like, I don't need any connection to the past. But for whatever reason, this guy and jewelry go hand in hand. He loves it. He'll keep it forever. Um, Specific jewelry. Specific. Not just like he collects it. Two two pieces of jewelry. The earring and the pin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But he says, yeah, he doesn't want to, he decides to keep it not for what it meant to Beric, but what it has come to mean to him. Right. Because it is the last physical link to his past. Right. And it's also something that was owned by the man who raised him and at one point by his father. Yeah. It has touched both of them and now it's his and that means something. And I think it's big that he's admitting that it's sentimental also because of his birth father right 
and that's kind of the nicest thing <laughs> we've heard him or n- nicest way he, we've heard him refer to chivalry in a while he does take it off however wrap it in a scrap of silk that he has left over and puts it in his pack because it's too recognizable he says he is oddly reluctant to do so but you know he doesn't want to be described and hounded after So he's wandering around the marketplace trying to collect some, collect some goods for his journey. And this is where like the the money money thing. thing. Yeah. comes in. (laughs) So he spent a copper on a rough loaf of bread. Sure. And then I allotted myself the lavish sum of four coppers and spent them on what seemed exotic luxuries, a small bag of tea herbs, dried fruit, a piece of looking glass, a small cooking pot, and a cup. That seems like a lot and very expensive. I feel like a looking glass is going to be, like... More than a copper? Yeah. Because it seems like... I feel like the pot, the cooking pot, is, like, at least two. (laughs) Like... Yeah. Because that's, like, an essential item. It could be, like, you know, well used and stuff. So it, it could be cheap. I could see that. A cup... I don't think it equates to the same as like a copper. I would think it'd be like a half copper, <laughs> but that's not, a, that doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, I don't know. You bundle things together to make, right, like right. tea being kind of cheap makes sense ish. Right. Tea can be expensive, but I can see finding cheap tea, but like dried fruits feels. I think that's fairly normal. I think because there's a lot of travelers that go through there, a lot of caravans. I think it would be something that is. And and this is the inner duchies where a lot of the produce is created. That's fair. So I feel like that would be fairly easy to come by in this city, particularly. Okay, That's a good point that we are in the inner duchies. But yeah, also the looking glass and a cooking pot. I don't know. So we're up to five coppers now spent. That means there's two left and seven silvers. Yeah. I, I just feel like he also purchased something called sunskirt seeds, which is which he was assured would revive a man to wakefulness no matter how weary he might be because he could not find elf bark. Right. So, you know, all these things for like four coppers and I just I, I don't know. And then two coppers to go through a clothing cart of like old dirty clothes and he gets a cloak and itchy wool leggings that will be warm. But yeah, like, I don't know. I think that's like one one per. <laughs> right. But one copper for the cloak, one copper for some leggings. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels it doesn't make sense to me. How are clothes the same as a cooking pot? I I mean, they are used clothes and they're super dirty. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So. But now he's out of coppers, but he'll use coppers later, which means somehow he he exchanged the silvers for coppers. Probably. I mean, he probably just paid, you know, paid a silver and they gave him his change. Yeah. (laughs) They're like little vendors with their coin machines. I'm sure that's how it works. Honestly, I mean, you have a coin purse, so. I guess. I'm not too worried about that in particular. I don't know. I think it's weird. <laughs> I would expect change to be made. It's just like the the value of things seems a little but, off to me. But like but. if he spends one copper on a loaf of bread and hands them a silver, is he getting like 15 
copper's back? Like, that's a lot of coppers. Do they have that many on that? I don't know. That's where I'm like, this feels a little iffy. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he bought the, the tea, the looking glass, and the, you know, the pot and the cup at one place, handed him a silver, and got, like, six coppers back or something, you know? Okay. Maybe. I don't know. We'll never know. Yeah. And so he is uh, heading towards a hiring fair. He hears about people uh, getting hired. He walks through the uh, the slaughter sheds of the area because remember this place makes a lot of leather. <laughs> right. So they have the unfortunate area that you have to walk through to get to um, to find any kind of menial labor in this town. And he says, steal myself as I would. I could not insulate myself from the blind misery and panic of the waiting animals. Didn't really have any clear knowledge of what awaited them, but the smell of blood and just the feeling in the air made them all scared. And it kind of awoke a terror equivalent to him lying on the dungeon floor in him. Right. But he has to push through. Mm -hmm. This is the only place to find work. And so that is where he's going. He stands around. There's a couple. There's a bunch of people waiting around, talking to the people there. And once in a while, people walk through, say they're hiring a couple people, and turn most of everybody down. Right. Basically, it's a. This is like the bottom of the barrel, um, right. temp agency, and <laughs> they're looking for the cream of the crop here. Exactly, and. Fitz is not really instilling much confidence in the people coming through. So he tells us that his story was that his mother had recently died and turned over her estates to my older sister, who had little use for me. And so I had set out to travel to my uncle who lived past Blue Lake, but my coin had run out before I had reached there. No, I'd not been a drover before, but we'd been wealthy enough to have horses, cattle, and sheep, and I knew the basic care of them, and so some said, had a way with dumb beasts. He also goes by the name Tom. Mm -hmm. And this is such an interesting little tale he's woven for himself. But it's not super, it's not that it's not believable. It's just that he's not dressed like someone who knows what he's doing. And from his story, he's some wealthy kid who probably didn't really have to work that much, even right. if they owned the livestock, why would he have been helping take care of them? So the benefits of it are if the, you know, the person hiring him takes him at face value, he's not a low life who came from, you know, the streets or something. Right. If they believe him, he came <laughs> from someplace where, you know, he, he was used to maybe not, a full honest days of work, but like some he's type journeying of and he's not, yeah, he's not like a layabout lazy person. So right. he meets people there that are, <laughs> are passed over quite often. And one of them is uh, a guy named crease, which is the worst name. I hate it. <laughs> yes. C R E E C E. <laughs> He ends up sharing some of the food and increase shares some of uh, dried meat and wine. And he is a big gossip and try He's one of those people that tries to get into arguments with everybody because he thinks that's conversation and that's entertaining to him. 
So he says very controversial things or like and needles you yes. and bugs you into a certain side. Yes. Takes a very strong stance and sticks by it. Yes. He's a very devil's advocate. And Fitz is being very quiet during this. So Kreese bores with him and turns to other people. And during this, Fitz is just listening in. He's trying to gather as much information as possible as he usually does. Right. And it quickly turns to uh, politics in Pharaoh. There was no mention of the red ships, no talk at all of the war that raged along the coast. I understood abruptly how much these folk would resent being taxed for troops to protect a coast they'd never even seen, for warships to sail an ocean they could not even imagine. The arid plains between Landing and Blue Lake were their ocean, and these drovers the sailors who traveled on it. The six duchies were not by nature six regions of land bound into a hole, but were a kingdom only because a strong line of rulers had fenced them together with a common boundary and decreed them to be one. Should all the coastal duchies fall to the red ships, it would mean little for these folk here. There would still be cattle to herd and loathsome wine to drink. There would still be grass and the river and the dusty streets. Inevitably, I must wonder what right we had to force these folk to pay for a war so far from their homes. Tilth and Pharaoh had been conquered and added to the duchies. They had not come to us asking for military protection or the benefits of trade. Not that they hadn't prospered, freed of all their petty inland herd lords and given an eager market for their beef and leather and rope. How much sailcloth, how many coils of good hemp rope had they sold before they were part of the six duchies? But it still seemed a minor return. And he is, during this whole travel inland, understanding more about the duchies, which is really good for him because he had a particularly biased mindset before this. Right. Understandably, because one, he was a child and two, had only ever been to his duchy. Right. Or, or the neighboring yeah. <laughs> duchies that were also on the coast. And so it's good to expand his mind like this and kind of understand where the people are coming from, because I'm sure he was of the same mindset as we, you know, preliminarily were with how could the inland duchies side with Regal? This is, you know, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, he's the worst, but they it it does make sense. Yeah, because they don't see the effect. They just feel it in their pocket. Mm -hmm. And that makes for people being restless. It just does. And it's unfortunate that they can't picture the reason why they are defending the coast is so that they can still prosper with trade. Right. But if all you've ever known is peace and a life inland and you don't even have any concept of what the ocean might even be like to fish on or to deal with regular raiders, it's really hard to put yourself in the shoes of those people. It just, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> so hundred percent. And, and I know I'm generalizing here, but extrapolating from no mention of warships or the war at all along the coast rumors can flourish really easily because they're not told or thinking of news from the coast they probably don't get very much news or you know of any kind so anything that comes from regal and is spread around is from their royal ruler who came 
to visit the inland duchies because none of the other farseers ever visited the inland duchies. Right. So, and if they did, it wasn't the way Regal does. Yeah. And and so, you know, pardon my uh, double entendre here, but it was fertile ground for rumors. I mean, I, the inland duchies are the farmland, but like <laughs> that's literally what he came to do because these were his people and they weren't getting any other news from the coast really. Right. And again, I'm I'm generalizing and extrapolating here, but that's what I can only assume. Well, on top of that, it doesn't really seem like relationships between the duchies are super strong. Right. It's not cultivated. There aren't like job trades (laughs) that go throughout. Like Fitz said, it's not a one nation. It's it's just six six separate duchies bound together by will. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that the more we read about, we learn more, just like Fitz, which I kind of love. I love that we start out with the rudimentary basics and we can so easily learn more through mm-hmm. Fitz just traveling during yeah. this time period and listening to gossip. I think that's a really clever way to get more information to us besides just walls of text of cramming down our throats the different like political uh, ideologies going on on each duchy. We get to see it and see the people and how they're interacting. And I think I've fallen on both sides of this, I guess, complaint <laughs> against and uh, praise for Robin Hobb. I, I always said that I want more world building, and I thought those were, that was kind of lacking. And, and I've also said, like, the subtle things that you can read into are really nice to build a fully fleshed out world. Yeah. It's just very slow world building Yeah. <laughs> for a trilogy. This is in the last book, and this is finally an insight into the inner duchies besides reading between the lines or rereading. And right. You know, and seeing stuff. So or if somebody is first time reading through this, this is our first time listening to common people from the from the inner from duchies. The inner duchies. Yeah. And I mean, besides that, we had real to go off of as right. the inner duchy people. Yeah. And he's not a great marker of what the common people are. <laughs> he's so. not a great marker for a person. So true. <laughs> but I don't know. I just really like how mundane i guess some things are in hobbs writing and i don't mean that in a negative way i just mean no that's where it makes it more real that's where the life comes out in in pretty much any fantasy book yes that i've ever read it's it's in the small things that might be overlooked but are slightly different right in you know different geographies or Knowing about the Chalced States and how slavery is viewed Mm -hmm. is not super important to the story we're reading, but it is important to the land and the geography and the background of Burek's family. And so getting those little bits and pieces to like color in the world map more, I feel like this chapter and even the next have things in it that while I'm rereading, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I didn't remember this. And this is so interesting and makes the world so much more full. And yet they're not something that I'm probably going to remember even while doing this podcast a year to two years from now. Right. It's just something that happens that 
makes this book so great because it does leave the world full even when you forget the little details. Yeah, and I like the Chelsea thing that you mentioned. It, it frames the importance of the earring, that right. earring conversation that they had earlier. It just frames how much value could be placed on it and why it would be a sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, that's the joy of the reread, though, you know? Right, definitely. You can experience some of these small details anew because who's going to remember everything about them? (laughs) Especially with 16 books. (laughs) How many coppers is he going to spend this time? Yeah, definitely not going to (laughs) remember that detail. (laughs) So Fitz is almost dozing off during all this talk until he hears the words pocked man. And... He kind of perks up and listens to the conversation a little bit more closely. Someone had just mentioned him as, you know, the traditional harbinger of disaster. But some other person said that it's actually not bad fortune to see him now. It's the greatest fortune of all because, you know, the king has offered 100 golds to any man that can bring him the pocked man from Buck. And Kreese has to say, was 50, only 50 golds, not 100. What a story. A hundred golds for a gray old man. No, it's a hundred for him alone. And another hundred for the man-wolf that dogs his heels. I heard it cried anew just this afternoon. They crept into the king's mansion at Tradeford and slew some of his guard with beast magic. Throats torn right out that the wolf might drink the blood. He's the one they want bad now. Dresses like a gentleman, they said, with a ring and a necklace and a silver dangle at his ear streak of white in his hair from an old battle with our king, and a scar down his face and a broken nose from the same. Yes, and a nice new sword slash up his arm is what the king gave him Give him this time. <laughs> Even I had to admire Regal's audacity at claiming that. Even as I turned my face back into my bundle and burrowed down as if to sleep, the gossip continued. So... I think this is Regal's downfall. Not downfall, but Regal's hubris, maybe. (laughs) He wants so badly to extrapolate the story and make himself the hero and make things bigger than they are to the point where, as Fitz says later, they're looking for the shiny yellow wolf eyes in the shadows, not a haggard workman sitting next to them. Right, right. He's made both... Chade and Fitz into these fantastic, fantastical fairy tale beasts. And while that sells and that makes people talk about it more, it also kind of gives Fitz a better cover because who's going to believe that timid little Fitz is a wolf man. There's nothing really remarkable about him. If you take into the consideration that he's super quiet and barely talks and when he does it's just a few words he i don't know it's just i think regal did himself a disservice by playing up how like magically scary fits is yeah could be but they have very very accurate descriptions of everyone that's true and um the the gossip here is that the pocked man is the half spirit of king shrewd we know chade is the half brother Yes. So, of course, still more superstitious gossip stories. Mm-hmm. But it conveys the correct information. They I say suppose. that he's working with the Vixen Queen. 
and that they poisoned King Shrewd and were going to take over the throne. So it follows along with Regal's storyline and rumors. Right. And also says that the bastard was not killed well enough and now is back again as a man wolf. Right. So. But it also, I think they talk about how when the moon hits him, he turns into a wolf. And it's like, okay, but that's not how the wit works. Yeah. And maybe that's how Regal thinks the wit does work. I don't know. Or maybe. This could just be embellishment by the person. True. That's true. Saying that, oh, this person is has the whip magic and this is what the... What it does. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, Gossip gets conflated, That's inflated, true. all the way through. But I suppose it does have his description. And whether or not the details are correct, the descriptions are. So, maybe it is smart. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like... If you make something too fantastical, it's yeah just going to slide under the radar Radar whenever it's just plain old Fitz. And Fitz does say, I kept waiting for someone to nudge me with a foot or cry out, hey, let's have a better look at him. No one did. The tone of the man's tail had them looking for wolf eyes in the shadows, not for a weary workman sleeping in their midst. And he thinks back to the people that might have that description. The tailor where he traded clothes would recognize that. Possibly the earring woman. Even the old rag woman who had helped me tie the kerchief over my hair. Some might not want to come forward. Some might want to avoid dealing with the king's guards. Some would, though. I should behave as if they all would. So the speaker keeps going on, embellishing the tale, saying that Ketrikin's evil ambitions and how she had lain with... Uh, Fits to conceive a child they could use to claim the throne. Um, there was loathing in the voice as he spoke of Ketrakin, and no one scoffed at the words. Even Crease was acquiescent at his side, as if the bizarre plots were common knowledge. And confirming my worst fears, Crease spoke up suddenly. You tell it like it's all new. But all knew her big belly came not from Verity, but from the wit bastard. Had Regal not driven off the mountain whore, we would eventually have had one like the piebald prince in line for the throne. There was a low murmur of assent to this. What could be Regal's purpose in letting such evil gossip be noised about? So, this is such an interesting thing to have taken root, and I think talks a little bit of the struggle of being a woman in like this type of era. Um, there's no proof of anything and only a woman shows that she's pregnant. There's no sign that a guy did or did not father the child, which is really unfortunate when you have someone as powerful as Regal spreading lies about who the baby daddy is. See, I take this as very smart from Regal's perspective. Oh, it for sure is. And Fitz wondering what could be the purpose of this is just him not thinking critically enough. Because if he sat down, if Chade was asking him, you know, what could he gain from this? Fitz Mm -hmm. would come to the conclusion, but he needs that guidance. Right. And obviously it's because he's, you know, covering it in case Verity comes back. Ketrikin comes out with the child and says, this is our child. Or even Ketrikin just comes forward. I have Verity's child here. It's 
setting the people against and, you know, telling them, oh, no, this was the illegitimate bastard who had the wit magic. It's his it's, child. it's his kid. So it's not an actual heir to the throne. I am the king. Right. It's to de- delegitimize any possible chance of, you know, somebody else coming back and stealing the throne from him. Right. Which fits perfectly in line with with what Fitz thinks as well. He's just not thinking clearly at this point. Right. Well, he is also scared for his life. Right. So yeah, yeah, that's it, what I mean. Yeah. He's not thinking through everything clearly because <laughs> he has other thoughts on his mind. Definitely. But um, pretty prophetic of Regal because that is kind of what happens at the end. So spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> yeah, not with the, the kid, really. Well, but. it is Fitz's child. It wasn't yeah, Fitz's that's consciousness. If that's what you mean. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. True. It, but the, so the person who ends up sitting on the throne yeah. is Fitz's kid. I don't know how we feel about the logistics of that. <clears throat> yeah. But we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more in depth later. Um, but it is, I mean, he predicted the future. So there's that. <laughs> and also Fitz is gathering here that... All knew Ketrikin had returned to the mountains, but the freshness of contempt that they had for her suggested to Fitz that this was recent news. So it must have just come out recently to Regal that she had officially returned to the mountains. That is where she escaped to and has confirmation from either King Ayod or Ketrikin herself that she was in the mountains. Because remember, Regal asked King Ayod earlier, right. like, hey, release Ketrikin to us or whatever. And he said, no, that's six duchies business, not mountain business. Yep. So <laughs> Figure out your own queen. <laughs> yep. Which is... Very funny. And I yeah, love that. It's a strong move from your father. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Big power move, which Regal does not appreciate. <laughs> but this is an interesting passage here. One man even ventured to say that now that trade with the coast was shut down, the mountains saw a chance to fence Pharaoh and Tilth in and force them to come to terms or lose all trade routes. One man recounted that even a simple caravan escorted by six duchies men in Regal's own colors had been turned back from the mountain border. Now, do you think that was show on Regal's part? Because we know he you know, shut down trade with the mountain. Do you think right. that was show on Regal's part to get turned away so he could spread that rumor? Or do I, you think it was a coterie? Because that's what I think. I think they were trying to sneak some people in under this guise to follow Verity. Yeah. Or get confirmation of Ketrikin. I, I don't even, I didn't even think that in depth. I thought this is maybe something that happened unrelated to any of this that they just got turned back. Something happened. There was like a collapse in a road or maybe this was the message of bring our queen back. And he's like, sounds like a six duchy problem to me. And then Regal just used it later. I'm not even sure that there was a caravan and it wasn't just men in Pharaoh colors. Yeah. But it's a rumor, so it can be extrapolated. 
I don't know. I feel like this is just some. I don't think this it's, is something that Regal planned to happen. Oh, really? Okay. I think this is something that happened that Regal turned into a win for him because Regal doesn't strike me as someone who goes out of his way to create situations he can make rumors of. He just takes what he's given and turns it around in his favor. I think that's his biggest strength. I don't think he has the foresight to plan ahead. I think in my mind, it's either an an attempt to sneak or mask or create a diversion so other people could get in or follow. Mm -hmm. Or this was, like you suggested, the demand of Ketrakin, but it was not a quote unquote simple caravan. A coterie member or high profile member was in the caravan and the six duchies, you know, guards or whatever in Regal's colors were just there to guard and like demand back. Right. And so he twisted that and said it was a simple trade caravan Mm -hmm. that got turned away. I think either way it's made up (laughs) like like Fitz says, obviously stupid, but it works. It's yeah. he does it. Everybody seems to believe it. These are nobodies. Why would they have any political stake in disagreeing or agreeing? So clearly everybody believes it to be true. But Fitz is <laughs> very very naive about the level of involvement people are with politics and like True. the socioeconomic climate <laughs> and, and why political, you know, things happen because he says here, Oh, to me, it was stupid. Obvious. The mountains needed the trade with Tarot and filth more, you know, than Tarot and, uh, uh Pharaoh and tilth. I was going to say Tarot and filth, <laughs> but you know, well. <laughs> because grain was more important to mountain folk than lumber and furs to the lowlanders and free trade had been openly admitted as the reason for wedding Ketrakin to Verity. So, <laughs> right. And it doesn't make sense if you have been following the story the whole time, but if you are just a poor workman who you don't have those insights. Yeah. You just know, Oh, now I can't go to the mountain kingdom like usual and I'm out money and it's their fault. Because why would our king do something that would be disastrous to the people on purpose? Because he doesn't care. <laughs> but they don't know that. So, Because also, if you're a regular person, why would you assume the worst of a royal person? Even with Verity, people just thought he was dumb, not purposely trying to hurt the inner duchies. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it never got to the point where they're like, oh... Ketrickin obviously is different because she is a quote unquote outsider. I don't know. I think there's also potentially there could be something in there of like the demonization of women, but otherness in general is looked down upon in this country. So by Regal and probably that attitude is right. Fostered. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's way worse under Regal's reign, but I do think it's just having the wit is seen as bad and there's historical stories for that but yes right so it just but like having the, the skill is not seen as bad so. right right so that's what i mean and just like other not even just like people coming in from other countries although we know that the 
out islanders who were traders weren't necessarily treated all that well even before the red ship raiders it was just way worse after the red ship raiders which is also understandable right there even people if it's are, crappy you know yeah but i just think that there's like that culture anyway so it makes sense that right there would be it'd be easier to turn animosity towards Ketrakin rather than Verity or Fitz even, because even though he's, you know, the bastard child, he still is of that lineage. And now that he has the wit openly or so they've convinced everyone, although he does, um, it is easier to hate on him. Well, to be, to be fair. uh, Yeah. Verity, I don't think is a, it would be a very hard target to go against. Ketrickin is the easy one because Fitz in everyone's mind is dead. Right. And there was in in that gossip section, it was there's even rumor that the bastard has returned as the wolfman. Not right. even like, oh, he is alive and this is whatever. So Ketrickin's the really only target that Regal can go after solidly, True. besides this mythical pocked man, which mm-hmm. is probably in a lot of people's mind, fake. you know, still fake. Yeah. So also, Ketrickin is yeah. the source, the only source of Right. You know, ire that he can shove everyone's frustrations out on. True. And the other two people can kind of like laugh at and be like, oh, yeah, I guess. But Ketrickin is real. So yep. you're right. And Fitz is thinking about um, this mountain kingdom and the disguising of armed troops as guards for trade caravans and everything like that. And he's kind of questioning his... Regal fomenting a war with the Mountain Kingdom? Is he trying to take it back? Because, you know, Galen and Regal's plan was to have it all along to capture it through marriage, but now that's no longer possible. Maybe he's trying to set undercurrents and set emotions against the Mountain Kingdom now in order to take it over to make it the Seventh Duchy, to have the mountains guarding the Inner Duchy's back so there's not a quote-unquote enemy there or anything like that. Right. How naive of Regal to think that the generations of kings before him couldn't do this, but I can. Just. They didn't really want to, I don't think. They tried, though. It says that. Yeah, that was, the, I think, King Wielder, right? Long ago. Yeah. And w- was it the Mountain Kingdom or did he try Chalced? The Mountain Kingdom. And they could not. They had learned long ago that the Mountain Kingdom would not be. Right. Taken from King Eyad or. Yeah. His descendants. Because they don't really have cities. <laughs> right. It's not, yeah, not as easy as it seems. But it just feels very, I mean, it makes sense because we all know Regal, but it's like pretty big of an ego to think you're better than literally everybody else that's ever existed in your line. Right. So. And so he reflects on this gossip a little bit and this new news that he got. 100 golds for Chade and 100 for Fitz. I knew well enough what I had done lately to merit such a head price, but I wondered keenly just what Chade had been up to. In all my years with Chade, he had worked always unnamed and unseen. He still had no name, but his pocked skin and resemblance to his half-brother were known now. That meant he had been seen somewhere by someone. I hoped he was well and safe this night wherever he was. A part of me yearned to turn back, to return to Buck and track him down, as if somehow I could keep him safe. Come to me. No matter what I longed to do, no matter what I felt, I knew that first I would go to Verity. So he tries to 
get some sleep. And he says he dreamed, but they were pale dreams, barely touched by the skill, shifting and turning as if blown by the autumn winds. Which Fitz doesn't know what's barely touched by the skill or not, because these are obviously skill visions. Right. But I guess barely touched because he's not there (laughs) solidly. He doesn't stand there and experience the whole scene. (laughs) Right. Right. So he visits a few people. He says, my mind seemed to have caught up and jumbled together thoughts of every person I missed. I dreamed of Chade taking tea with Patience and Lacey. He wore a robe of red silk patterned over with stars, cut in a very old style, and he smiled charmingly at the woman over his cup and brought laughter even to Patience's eyes, although she looked strangely worn and weary. I then dreamed of Molly peeping out of a cottage door while Birik stood outside it, pulling his cloak tight against the wind and telling her not to worry. He'd not be gone that long, and any heavy chores could keep until he returned, that she should stay within doors and have only a care for herself. Even of celerity did I dream, that she had taken shelter in the fabled ice caves of the hungry glacier in Burns, and hid there with what troops she could still rally and many of her folk made homeless by the raider wars. I dreamed she tended Faith, who lay suffering with a fever and a festering arrow wound in her belly. I dreamed finally of the fool. His white face turned to ivory as he sat before a hearth and stared into the flames. There was no hope left in his face, and I felt that I was within the flames, looking deeply into his eyes. Somewhere nearby, and yet not very near, Ketrickin was weeping inconsolably. My dreams withered in my mind, and then I dreamed of wolves hunting, hunting, running down a buck. But they were wild wolves, and if my wolf was among them, he was theirs and mine no longer. There's a lot to unpack in all of those. Right. Um, taking it from the top, Jade is now out and moving about. And I know from rereading and we know that right. he announced himself as a uh, as an advisor to old King Shrewd. Right, and half-brother. And the half-brother, and and said, you know, Regal is not the real king. And I think he sent missives to all of the Dukes and Regal yes. as well, saying, like, Regal is pretender, Verity is out there still, Verity's child is still out there, have hope, that sort of thing. Yes. Pretty much laying the whole groundwork for when Verity as Dragon returns and Ketrickin returns, that... There will be more duchies that believe Kendrickin's yes. child is exactly. the real heir. So his part is very vital, actually. Yeah. I was thinking about that uh, when I read that. And I was like, if he hadn't done that, it would have been a very hard right. <laughs> transition. Right. And honestly, I feel like him coming out of the woodwork and revealing himself as not dead is way better of a plan than anything he could have had Fitz do. Because I don't think it would have been taken well if Fitz would have come back from the dead. No, true, true. I don't think, even if wit magic wasn't involved and they could try to pretend like it was medicine, they gave him poison to almost stop his heart, I don't think anyone would believe it. And I don't, I think people wouldn't trust him. Right, right. So, yeah. I don't know. Patience is looking worn and weary because she is, you know, 
in the midst of dealing with the Ivy Runners and trying to organize some sort of defense. But things are falling apart because I'm sure she hasn't heard from Burns lately right. with that scene. Yeah, things are not going well and she is being a leader and that is mm-hmm. tiring, especially in wartime. <laughs> yeah. And Molly and Birik, Birik is heading off, as we learn next chapter, into town. He's gathering some supplies. Molly is close um, on her pregnancy and he's war- telling her to stay inside and just have a care for yourself. Right. But also, is that for next chapter? Because... Is it this that, chapter? Well, it is next chapter, but I'm saying, would this be the preface for next chapter? Because this is like a couple days that he's gone. I think they I think they live pretty far away because it seems like a big journey. Mm, okay. You know, I, I, th- I don't think it's, you know, just a little daily jaunt to town and back. Interesting. Okay. I think it's like an overnight kind of thing. I guess I don't know for sure. I yeah. just was wondering if, like, what's the timeline on this? Is he seeing into the future? Because <laughs> it's it's only one day, I think, um, because it's this night, and then, and the then next, he gets tired, right, and right. then he sleeps, and that's the night that you're true. You're, yeah, Molly. You're right. Yeah, I'm true. Yes, that Molly uh, gives birth. So Molly is pregnant. He still doesn't know. Right. <laughs> We right. get to that next chapter, next episode <laughs> with that, you know, wonderful realization. Oh, fit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Beric is heading into town to gather some supplies that we right. learn or talk to the midwife, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So then we move on to Celerity that we had mentioned. She is taking care of Faith, who is, I believe, going to die from a festering arrow wound. Mm-hmm. So Celerity becomes the leader of Burns yeah, as I think the you're last right. remaining daughter. I believe she is. I, I could be wrong on that, but I think I she is. I don't know for sure. I think she is the Duchess in the last trilogy when Fitz meets her again. Right. I don't know. So, yeah. But anyways, um, they are gathering in a fabled glacier, fabled caves in a glacier trying to survive and gather any of their last remaining people. So things are not going well on that front in the Raider Wars. And then finally, the fool who has turned ivory. So he's had his sickness and changed a darker shade. Right. He, I believe, does not know what that means at this point. Right. I think I I could be wrong, but I seem to recall... Maybe a conversation in Tawny Man or maybe in this book when he's tending fits that he says he thought he did something wrong because he got sick and changed a darker shade. Right. And then realizes it was something right. Yes. Yeah. We learned that the changes happen whether or not you go on the right path, but the shade denotes if you did it right or not. Something like that. Yeah. Because... The older whites that are corrupt and in charge are super pale, and they have also claimed to have gone through the changes, I believe, but they stay super pale, whereas the other people get really, really dark. Yeah, Prilkop, I think, is uh, maybe described as like a walnut. (laughs) Yeah, like, (laughs) yeah, a pretty dark brown, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. I think almost I think near black because he's described as like the black man of Alsval, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so he has very, very dark skin. Yeah. 
So this is the first change, I believe, that the fool has been through. A major shift in the timelines or the path. Right. And he's staring into the flames with no hope left in his face. Because he thinks that Molly was not pregnant. He thinks that Fitz has died. Mm -hmm. And with Ketrakin sobbing inconsolably in the back, she has lost her child. Yes. For the fool, there is no hope for the future because everything that he was hoping for hinged on a child, a farseer child. Right. This, I got the impression that this is the last chance. This is without Fitz. If Fitz were to have actually died, that's it. That's the end. There is no more chances. That was the last one. Well, with Nettle, I think there is a possibility, well, but he doesn't know. It Because he thinks Nettle yeah, doesn't exist. Exactly. I'm saying yep. without Fitz, there's no more chances. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And he does learn from Fitz later on. Right. <laughs> and is, I think, quite mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he dreams of wolves hunting, hunting, running down a buck, but they were wild wolves. If my wolf was among them, he was theirs and mine no longer. So it changes from the skill dreams back into like a wit connection, maybe a skill dream still that he's just viewing and like went through two night eyes. But he thinks that night eyes is now wild and has joined a wolf pack. So he wakes up feeling very alone. Understandably so. Yes, with a headache, crick in his back from the stone he'd slept on, and hungry. Yes. (laughs) And still trying to find a job and find his way to Verity because he cannot go anywhere else. There's a guy who is trying to hire someone, anyone, not for a caravan, because that's what all the people are here for. They're trying to get out of town. Right. This man is just trying to move his sheep from a pen Close to a sick man's uh, sheep's pen. A sick sheep. A man. A man's sick sheep. (laughs) The pen that the man has holds sheep that are sick. (laughs) Okay. You're making it worse. (laughs) And this man is trying to move his own so his sheep do not get sick as well and move them outside of town to a a pasture out there. Right. So he needs work uh, from someone for the afternoon, basically. The morning. Yeah, the morning. Sure. And uh, he finally offers breakfast to anyone who is willing, which gets Fitz to go along because Fitz will always take food as payment. Yes. He specifically had called out uh, Birik. Birik had always told him that a lot of water staved off hunger for a while and that he would have to test the theory today. So obviously his coppers had run out. He doesn't want to spend his silver yet. So <laughs> Right. Well, he spent an extra copper that he didn't have the night before, so he should have a couple more coppers. <laughs> so this guy's name was Damon. He was talking and ex- over-explaining everything that he needed to do. And Fitz moves the sheep over to the field. Uh, There is a messy kind of battlefield in the pen next to him, and you can understand why Damon wants to move his sheep away. Right. A lot of the sheep are dying. Yep. And it's a gruesome scene. Not great. They're trying to salvage the skin while they can. Yep. Which is really gross. Yeah. (laughs) Fitz also gives us a little insight to the wit. He tells us that 
sheep are the dumbest animals and even the most placid among them only seems that way because he's forgotten what he was thinking about. So there's no use trying to use the wit to move them along because it won't work. Um, he can only kind of give them the nudge that they have a really good idea to go forward. Yeah, and just convince them that that was a good idea, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he takes a little, his mind wanders wanders a little bit to think about how funny it would be to see Night Eyes uh, trying to herd these sheep. But with the thought of a wolf, some of the sheep start freezing up because they get scared. So he has to be like... Oh, no. You're going to get lost. The other ones are ahead. (laughs) Yep, better get close to them so you don't get lost. So (laughs) it's kind of a cute little break from the heaviness that we just had the last couple paragraphs. Yes. And he gets them all safe and sound to the pasture. Mm Mm-hmm. After we had caught our breath, he, meaning Damon, explained that tomorrow a caravan would be forming up here to travel to Blue Lake. He had bought these sheep just yesterday and intended to take them to his home there to add to his flocks. I asked him if he might want another hand to herd the sheep to Blue Lake, and he gave me a considering look, but no answer. Fitz gets some breakfast, and after that, Damon finally goes into saying, yes, I am in need of an extra hand, possibly two, but that he judged by the cut of Fitz's clothes that he knew little of the type of work that, you know, Fitz was trying to seek. Um... Or that Damon was trying to seek, excuse me. He'd taken me on this morning only because he was the one, that Fitz was the only one who looked really awake and kind of accepted the job. Right. Anyways, so he eventually does hire Fitz on and says, yeah, you can can help herd these people in. So uh, he mines the sheep for the afternoon because Damon has to go back in. He has to gather up some remaining things and hire one more person as well. Right. So Fitz is there hauling water, setting hay to the corners of the, you know, the fields. Right. And the sheep don't let him uh, let him rest at all because they're just constantly drinking and eating. So he's just constantly running back and forth. And he does mention that it makes him miss Burek, mostly just because he wouldn't have given him over explanations of what to do. He would have trusted him to do the work. But... He doesn't, Damon doesn't know that Fitz knows what he's doing, so he has to listen to it and just nod along and hope to be polite so he can get this job. Right. And this is where he says that his name is Tom, because Patience had uh, thought of that once to call him. Yeah. So. Does all of his chores. He kind of washes himself a little bit because there's a, a hut, like a house with a woman there. That's who served him. You know, the breakfast. And he looks at his arm, says his arm was healing well, not bad for a deadly injury, I told myself, and hoped Chade would never hear of my blundering. How he would laugh at me. (laughs) The poison seems to be out of his system. It's just a sword cut now, and he (laughs) seems to be doing okay. And he is, uh, you know, can finally clean the rags that he bought. Yes. He's washing himself a little bit. And... You know, does some chores around the barn to get another meal from the woman. Uh, helps, like, take care of her horse or whatever. And there is a red bull. No, just a bull. Why did I think red? There's a bull and some horses. Yep. And they need looking after. And so he helps with that. They're not hers. They're 
the some of the other patrons who are asking her to look over them. Mm-hmm. And so he does, and earned himself a dinner of stew and biscuits and a mug of ale to wash it all down. Checks on his sheep, checks on the bull and the horses, and just sits there wondering. Wonders how it would be if that were all to his life, if that's all he had to do. Right. You know, just menial chores, look after some animals. He likes it. It's not bad. Yeah. It's nice work. And it would be even better if he had a woman to come home to like Molly. Mm -hmm. A rangy white mare came over to rub her nose up my shirt and begged to be scratched. I petted her and found her missing a freckled farm girl who had brought her carrots and called her princess. I wondered if anyone anywhere got to live the life he'd wanted. Perhaps Night Eyes finally had. I truly hope so. I wished him well, but was selfish enough to hope that sometimes he missed me. Suddenly, I wondered if perhaps that was why Verity had not come back. Maybe he just got sick of the whole business of crowns and thrones and kicked over all his traces. But even as I thought it, I knew it was not so. Not that one. He'd gone to the mountains to rally the elderlings to our aid. And if he'd failed at that task, then he'd think of another way. And whatever it was, he'd called me to help him do it. And honestly, I wouldn't call him sad at this chapter. No. At the ending of here. I I would call him... I would verge on calling him happy almost. We're going to chalk it up as happy because yeah. those are so rare. Also, hey, we're congratulations. 10 chapters in. <laughs> First happy we've had in probably 20 chapters. Uh, so that's fun. <laughs> yes. And so he he has a ride, I guess, up to uh, Blue Lake or beyond Blue Lake. Yeah. So he's getting closer. He has a planned route at least. And he is just awaiting for the next day when they start out. Or at least gather the rest of their caravan. Right. It's a pretty overall uneventful chapter because not a whole lot of action happens. We don't see any of the negatives from the near miss he just had at the castle. It almost feels like last chapter wasn't him botching the assassin attempt on Regal because this one's so... Just not boring, but like plain. It's a nice, it's a nice, you know, downslope from the climax that we just had. It's, it's, you know, it's settling down. It's ramping up for the next leg of the journey. We're, you know, with this placid, you know, slow moving chapter, we forget all of the past and what (laughs) happened back there until it comes barreling into the future in a few chapters again. Exactly. Chases him off. So we've time to breathe. It's a nice reset. Yeah. And we get a little bit more about the inner duchy mindset of the common folk, at least. Right. So it's um, I, I like this chapter. It's it's never stands out to me. But every time I read it, I think I enjoy it a lot. You know, I just like, yeah, I like the slow pace of a lot of books like this, you know? Yeah, it's really nice. It's it's very nice after the chapter we just had. Right. But yeah. I'm definitely excited to get back into more people being around. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us ramble today. If you have any questions for us, please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or if you have any theories or anything like that, 
feel free to reach out. We're also at isfitshappy, Facebook, email, excuse me, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to get into the fun part of talking about what you guys sent to us. Um, We're going to start off on a more serious note. Um, because I think it's really important to touch on and also because I'm really glad somebody pointed this out so that we could talk about it. So we got a email from a listener named Vika <laughs> from the Netherlands. Uh, Vika, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm very sorry. But Vika was messaging us to let us know that they heard something on episode 60 that made them stop and think um, and thought that it would be a good teaching moment. Uh, My words, not theirs. (laughs) And talked about how I had made a comment about Fitz's attitude and just depression in general. Uh, Something along the lines of not that Fitz has had a cushy life and didn't have a reason to be depressed. And wanted to talk about how this is kind of a misconception on depression, that depression is a chemical imbalance in the brain, not something that is because of your surroundings. Although, or because you're sad. Or because like. you're sad, yes. <laughs> Although those can be factors, yes. um, it is ultimately something that is a chemical imbalance in the brain. And so I'm really glad that um, they felt comfortable enough to reach out and let me know my mistake so that I could own up to it to all of you, but also just amend that statement and say um, that I was wrong, that it's not necessarily about Fitz earning the right to have depression, that it just explains more, I guess, of where he's coming from. It There's more context of he has a really bad life and a lot of bad things happening so of course he he is he's gonna react to it his brain is gonna try to you know fit that into its life and contextualize it in some way right you know and yeah and that's not necessarily the only reason why he could possibly have depression um so thank you vika for pointing that out um also i they sent me a really lovely email and uh, we had a nice chat about the kind of sometimes things that go wrong in describing mental health yeah, and how it's really hard to talk about mm-hmm. and nobody ever does it perfectly, of course, yeah. uh, myself included, obviously. But I did want to take time to talk about it and talk about how it is something that nobody should ever feel bad about having nobody should feel like they don't they don't have a reason and so they should be able to get over it easier right yeah your life circumstances doesn't happen yeah Yeah. they don't really matter when it comes to chemicals in your brain and i feel like i i've also been harsh on fits in that regard as well but i've i've been through my own uh bout of depression at one time in my life and struggled for close to a year i think I'm not sure. It was a little bit ago now. But it it all comes from a place of tough love for Fitz yes. because 
we do love Fitz and we he he him. is our boy, you know, our our precious <laughs> stupid stupid boy <laughs> and we want him to be the best person he can be. And sometimes it just comes off a little harsh. Yes. So Yes, so I don't we don't want you guys to ever think that we are belittling Fitz's journey through mental health struggles or that we think that there's no other explanation that he's dumb or stubborn. Right. We know right. that there's the underlying depression driving all of this and driving the decision making and making him potentially make poorer choices. But also it is frustrating to read and we want him to do better because we know he's capable of doing better. And so like well-meaning parents, we sometimes are a little too tough. We're a little too buric on him. So <laughs> also uh, Vika at the end of this does uh, say and attach some photos of their cat, which is very cute and hopes somewhere someone out there has named their cat Catrican. Which is the best name. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. I hope that someone out there has named their cat Catrican. That would be a great name. Catrican is so funny. Yes. I genuinely chuckle out loud at that. It is so good. <laughs> um, so thank you, Vika. And hopefully that is a good reminder to you guys that if you hear something that we're doing wrong, we want to know. We want yeah, to get better. Yeah. We hope that we're cultivating an open platform where everyone feels comfortable to join and feels like they have a place at our table. And if you feel like we're not doing a good enough job at that, we want to welcome you to tell us so that we can get better and hopefully do better as we go along. Yeah. Jumping back into a little bit more of the plot things here, we got yes. a... Uh, answering email uh, from Tyler. So uh, initially we were talking about Tyler's thoughts on Birik and Swift and the legacy of Fitz with, you know, the emotional impact of Fitz dying in Birik's eyes and how that kind of cycles around with, you know, the, the vicious cycle of denying the wit and that sort of thing and how Fitz coming back into their lives kind of fixed that relationship and almost needed to happen in a perverse way. Right. Uh, and Tyler responds here and, and talks a little bit more about Fitz himself and how he deals with some of those emotions that come back up with him re-entering his life uh, after, you know, he, you know, talks to Birik and re-enters the life of, you know, Swift and all that family and talks to Dutiful about his past and things like that. And how Fitz has internalized his quote-unquote death and meaning the, the death of his former self of Fitz chivalry. Right. And when he's ever, whenever he's confronted with that, you know, pre-Girl on a Dragon returning his emotions... He freezes up because he can't move past that point in his life. He's he's given up his past as dead and can't contextualize his new life with, you know, saying, oh, maybe I was faking death and I can reenter some of these people's lives that I of the people I love, you know. Right. So it's an interesting thought as well. Like I, I've talked about his partial forging in that in that moment a lot, but that is a also a good addition to that um, that train of thought there because it, it's I usually focus on the relationships and his exact emotions and not what he's feeling or thinking about in general entering life again as fit chivalry right and the last part of 
that email, he's talking about re-entering or thinking about re-entering into Birk and Molly's life. And this is, uh, Tyler mentions, it's in Fool's Errand. He touches on the idea of coming back into Birk and Molly's life and brings up another point that I feel is just as important. He mentions that if he had come back, he knew Birk's honor would never allow him to stay with Molly. And if he didn't, would Fitz have a place in Molly's heart still? Or would she not love him as much as Birik? Would she resent him for destroying her and his lives together? Basically, he's haunted by the same fear that follows him throughout most of his life. If he lets people in, they won't love him. So he's he's kind of stuck on that place. And this, again, goes back to the girl and the dragon moment and, and sealing his emotions away. It's a really good thought to just keep in mind the whole time in between those. I know it's a little ways off. We got to right. the end of this book, but... We we see Fitz evolving in a lot of his emotions now and how he views things and him getting more mature and accepting Night Eyes leaving and, you know, all of these different things. At the end of this book, he's kind of locked in a stasis. Right. You know, he can't there move no on growth. beyond some things. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely hard, especially, I think, rereading, seeing the growth because then it almost feels more evident how little growth there is later. And I think that's such an interesting concept that there is no more maturity because he has locked so much of himself away that he can't. There's no possible way. He also, to be fair, is like a hermit hiding away from society. And that also probably does not help him just gain any knowledge at all in how to interact or grow as a person because a lot of this growth that we're seeing is coming from his interacting with regular people and seeing like, Oh, so this is probably what they're thinking. And he kind of stops doing that. So (laughs) that I think it's a little bit of both and it's such an interesting thing to be thinking about going forward. Yeah, definitely. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Another response to that, Tyler. And I believe, last but not least, we have Ellen messaging us on Facebook. And they're talking about this chapter, actually. Yes. Uh, they, they had read ahead a chapter. And uh, this is the perfect time for us to be reading it aloud so we can respond directly to some of these events and some of the thoughts and theories we have coming up on what people might be doing during this time. Yeah. So specifically, Ellen says that uh, they were so surprised when the coterie or the coteries turn up in the mountains at the end of this book and was not prepared at all for them to be there. So when did they start their own quest? Have they already started at this point? Uh, And Ellen, as we know, had before suggested that Will was focused on his own dragon, and we had talked about that. Yes. Knew what the skilled dragons were and wanted to make his own to get more power because... Obviously, no one really understands what they do. (laughs) Right. That you have to give up your whole life for it. (laughs) And if they had counted Verity as lost and unthreatening up until this point, basically that they were focused on Fitz so much until this happened. And then this whole day, like there's no pressure from the skill. There's no nothing. You know, did they shift their focus away? Do they have trouble finding Fitz? What's what's the coterie up to And are there other smaller coteries active at this point? Right. This is such a good 
like thought process and question or questions, I guess, because I don't know the answer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not sure at this point, particularly that there is active movement towards building their own dragon skill dragon. I think there are plans for it. I think Will knows that it is something he can do, but I think him stealing the skill power of other people is more of something he's doing to prepare, not something he's doing in concurrent with. Sure. Do you think there are smaller coteries at this point? Other coteries besides the main Galen's coterie? I think it could be possible, but maybe not. I've already made my thoughts clear that I thought at some of the coterie, like those smaller coteries might have been in that caravan. Right. right. And we're adventuring a little bit out. So I, I think during the time that Fitz was, uh, that he was recovering as a wolf, uh-huh. I think they were training new people up. Yeah. Because Regal would not be content with only three skill users left. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how I feel about it because on the one hand, I agree that it's entirely possible because Regal and Will both, you know, need the power. But also I could I can kind of see the mini coteries being built in response to Fitz getting so close as like true, true. Obviously, you three are too dumb to protect me (laughs) and I'm or you are secretly working with him. And so I want more and I want them all to be obedient to me so I can be sure because he's paranoid and probably a little freaked out that Fitz got so close. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And is confirmed still alive. Uh huh. In response to your other question, though, Ellen. I do think that they kind of counted Verity out. They knew he was alive still, pretty sure, because they were kind of picking up on some other thoughts and other skill things. And, you know, Fitz warned Verity to be small a lot of the times. So I think they counted him out until that show of force. And now Will and uh, Carrot and uh, what's the other guy's name? Burl? Just, oh. No, Justin's dead. Is dead. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. I think they're kind of reeling at this point. It's only been a day, so I think they're reeling at this point, but also trying to shore up their defenses and probably try to search out Verity in the upcoming weeks. Because I feel like he would be the main target. Well, as far as they know, Fitz is almost dead yeah. because he did poison himself. Right. So why would they? risk skilling out to him and wasting time on that when they'll probably find him pretty quickly. Whereas Verity has all this well of power and they want it. He also tries to not skill dream at night so as to not attract people, at least like to forget things. Fitz does. So I feel like he's not as brazen in his skill walking to draw Will in to find him again. So I feel like it might be, you know, harder for them to find fits and they're just focusing somewhere else true but yeah i definitely think they counted verity is out i think it makes sense when you think about they don't really know where he is they just know he's past the mountain kingdom and that he is weak 
and all by himself. And how long could he really survive and what damage could he do at this point? As long as he's not trying to come back to take the throne, they kind of seem like they don't care because they don't think he's going to succeed in anything that he does. Yeah. It's an interesting thought, though. I think the Coteries are already starting to be built at this point. It takes months, though. It's an interesting thought that they could be built in a reaction to this. I'll have to keep track of the time in between this instance and like the end of the the book. Right. I don't know how much time is. Time I, is I feel, so weird. Yeah. I feel like there, there has to be at least three months because I feel like he has to recover for a month from his injuries. And then like the journey up takes a long time. Well, I don't know. Let's see. Right before he died. Molly left because she was pregnant. And at this point in the book, it's been nine months from then. So (laughs) like maybe a month less than that, like eight, seven months because she would have had to have known she was pregnant. Right. So. But that was like, uh, what, a month before the end of last book, you know? Right. But also that means it only took him six months to go from dead to not dead. Yeah, I think so. And then killing, trying to kill Regal. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that is a very short amount of time. I don't know. I've been thinking, oh, it's a year at least. And then I remember that babies don't take a year to gestate. No. Well, I think it was like um, about four months or something uh, before Birik left. And then a month that fits was by himself at the cabin saying that he was going to go, but like didn't shower and stuff. And then I think another like month traveling. Yeah, but that just feels like not enough time. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, time is weird. We don't know for sure any of that, but uh, we'll have to keep track. Thank you so much, Ellen, for messaging us about those thoughts. It's interesting to reflect on what could be happening behind the scenes, because at the end of end of this book, when the coteries do come, it is a it is a big surprise. But it's a it's a narrative surprise that makes sense, because why wouldn't Regal go after more skilled ones to gather more power. Why wouldn't right. Will gather more people in to drain more people possibly? Like, <laughs> exactly. It it all makes sense. It just comes out of nowhere in the first time reading, at least for me. It was a huge surprise that there were other skilled ones that were hunting them. So I don't really remember how I felt reading it the first time. I don't I'm not like remembering off the top of my head any like big surprise, but maybe yeah. rereading it will help me remember what I was feeling. It all <laughs> happens very quick. Yes. I think sometimes it's in like two chapters and right. then they come and then they're all dead kind right. of thing. Like, so yeah, I like vaguely remember. <laughs> I feel like I just am one of those people who I need to like reread it to think about like, what was I thinking the first time I did? So right. yeah. I can't give you a very good answer, unfortunately, <laughs> but. I look forward to giving a better answer later. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for uh, sending the messages in. Yeah, thanks so much. It's always fun to hear from you guys. And I look forward to what you guys bring to the table next week. 